Well, good morning, guys. Good morning. Hey, how are we feeling? Feeling good? You guys had a little break. You guys going to play Kajabi tonight? Yes. Let's go. I love Kajabi. Um, hope you guys have been having fun. I mean, part of camp is just having fun, and I hope you guys have been able to do that. Um, we really, really find it super important that you guys are are having a good time, partly because I want, you know, I don't want to go on a tangent already, but um, God created fun, you know? And so as we do recreation, as you guys are out and about during free time, it's such an encouragement for me to see students like you guys running free and doing what you guys do. Um, And it's such a unique opportunity. I mean, like, Part of the reason Hume is amazing is because you don't always get the opportunity to do things like this with your friends and with other people and believers. Um, And I want to just let you guys know, it's not like fun is separate from what we do here in chapels, right? We believe that God created fun, that he wants us to enjoy his creation. And in fact, it's one of the mercies of God that we get to enjoy the lake and enjoy his creation and be outside and doing all these things. And so praise God for that. Um, and I hope you guys have been able to kind of get a little taste of him this week as you've been out here and, 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 and observing all that God has made. Um, today's seminar is called Be Transformed. Um, the couple reasons why I chose to talk about this is because I think there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding about what it actually means to be a Christian. We live in a world that that defines Christianity in different ways. And so I want, I just, I don't want to assume ever that somehow we all understand what it means to truly follow Christ. And so there's a very, you know, basic, simple understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And so some of you guys, I want you guys to know, you know, some of you guys might even have asked yourself that question this week as we've been talking about truth, as we've been challenged with that. And I asked that question of myself as well. Man, am I saved? It's such a common question amongst believers and amongst people who claim to believers. Man, am I truly, truly born again? And so we're going to be talking about that today. And I hope and pray that you guys would would kind of be receptive of this. I'm going to pray for us and we'll kind of jump right in. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we know that you are a God that... um, recognizes us. God, you see our hearts and you see everything about us. And God, even the parts we don't want you to see, you see. And Lord, yet you are a merciful and loving God. And God, you have made a way for us to know you. And you have made a way for us to be free from our sin You've made a way for us to repent. God, it's merciful that you even allow us to repent of our sin and come to you. So God, I'm thankful for your mercy and grace in my life. God, I did not deserve it. So God, I pray for these students, God, that you would, as you have been doing this week, that you would challenge them, that you'd encourage them. But ultimately, God, if they don't know you, that you'd save them and that they would be transformed. We love you, and in Jesus' name, amen. You guys have been hearing a lot about truth this week. We're talking about truth. Our theme is on truth, and so you guys have been 
able to kind of hear a lot of different definitions, hopefully not different definitions, but a lot of definitions of what truth is. And I want to tell you guys this. What I'm about to explain to you is true. And why is it true? It's not because it's my opinion. It's not because I just believe it to be true, therefore it's true. It's because it's found in God's word. And I want to encourage you guys with this. What, what we believe rises or falls on whether or not the Bible is true. And I say that confidently. Because some of you guys might ask the question, why should I believe what Brian's talking about? Why should I believe what you're talking about? Or Sarah, or anybody who's on this stage. And the truth is, is I was going to do a seminar kind of about the topic of the legitimacy of the Bible but ultimately, what I know in my heart to be true, and what I know the, in God's word to be true, is that you won't become a Christian because I have come up with a logical argument for the validity of Scripture or for the, the legitimacy of this book. Just because I argue into, if I was to win an argument with you one-on-one -on -one about whether or not the Bible is true, would you be a Christian anyway? Would you even believe in Jesus Christ? If the word of God is true, if the gospel is true, if Jesus is the son of God, would you be a Christian is the question. And the truth is, is I, I spent a lot of my years talking to atheists. I studied philosophy at UCLA. And so this is uh, something I was around. <laughs> Philosophies is very, it's interesting. I was in that department surrounded by atheists, surrounded by them, constant conversations with them, constant conversations about what they believe as opposed to what I believe. And ultimately I made a couple of conclusions just through my experience. This might not be true for everyone, but um, in my experience of it, I, I've understood this to be true is that, People don't want to be Christians. People, if the Bible is true, I'd usually ask them the question, man, is if the Bible is true, would you be Christian? If the gospel is true, would you be Christian? Most of them would say no. Why? Well, the truth is, is that becoming a Christian is so much deeper than just coming to an intellectual understanding. Becoming a Christian is a matter of transformation, and it's actually a work of God and a miracle of God. And so becoming a Christian really truly means that you have been transformed. And so that's why I'm talking about this, because I'm passionate about it. Because I know that ultimately, me coming up with a good argument, logical argument, philosophical argument about the truth of the Bible isn't ultimately going to sway you or get you to believe in the things of the Bible. It's a matter of the heart. And we see Paul talk about that throughout Romans. He's saying oftentimes people suppress the truth and unrighteousness. It's not that they don't believe, it's that they don't want to believe because they disagree with the worldview of the Bible. They disagree with the things the Bible has to say. And I mean, in a way, it makes sense, right? 
Bible has claimed some really strong claims, has some really strong statements about what is true and what is not, what is sin and what is not. And so as you guys wrestle with these things, I want you guys to understand what it means to truly be a Christian. If you guys open up to John 3, John 3, as I talked about and thought about this message, I wanted to communicate, man, what is it, what is a good passage of scripture that helps communicate what it means to be a Christian? And as I reflected on my own life, growing up in the church, being a, past, a, a, a pastor's son, what does it mean to actually be a Christian when you've been surrounded by it your entire life, surrounded by cultural Christianity, surrounded by the church your entire life? What does it actually mean to follow Christ? And so I chose to go dive into John 3. And so that's what we're doing today. So you guys are open to John 3. Here's what it says. We're going to start from verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. What is, who is Nicodemus? Who is Nicodemus? Not what is, who is. Well, Nicodemus, it says right there, it says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And oftentimes Pharisees get bad raps, right? Because of their interactions with Jesus. Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. Jesus says, you guys are religious, but you do not have a relationship with me. Jesus says, your hearts are far from me. You pretend that you know me, but ultimately you don't know who I am. So oftentimes, yes, the Pharisees are depicted in the scriptures as people who are merely religious, yet have no obligation um, with their following Jesus. So they actually, they, they, they seem religious, yet they don't actually truly follow Christ. Their hearts are far from them. They're judgmental. They don't actually have the marks of a true Christian. They don't have the marks of somebody who knows God because God is merciful and loving and God is also not a hypocrite. And oftentimes the Pharisees would lay burdens on the people that they themselves would not carry. And so Nicodemus is a Pharisee, but Nicodemus, remember, is not just a Pharisee, or not remember, but we'll find this out in a second. Later in the passage, Jesus refers to Nicodemus as the teacher of Israel. Nicodemus is well known by Israel. People know who he is. He teaches the word of God. He teaches the Old Testament. Not only does he teach the Old Testament, many Bible scholars think that Pharisees, especially Nicodemus, since he was kind of the cream of the crop, would have had the Old Testament memorized. You guys see that bonus verse for this week? Yeah, times that by like 300, okay? And so these guys, these Pharisees, had the Old Testament memorized by heart. And so what an amazing thing that they had, yet they did not know who God was. And maybe some of you guys are in the same boat. You've spent your life in church studying the scriptures, but yet you actually don't know what it means to know God. You don't know what it means to follow him, to trust him with your life, to desire him, to desire your time with him. And so I want to talk about that in a few moments, but we'll get on to that. Hey, so right after that, right after Nicodemus asks, 
He's basically saying, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs unless that you do unless God is with them. Essentially, he's saying, who are you? We know that you're a teacher that come from God for we've witnessed the things that you've done. We've witnessed the miracles that you've accomplished. And I myself are wondering who you are. And Jesus, we'll get to his response in a second. But Nicodemus, in a way, has some humility here, right? He knows and recognizes that Jesus is set apart. That he's not just an ordinary teacher or an ordinary prophet. He's seen some miraculous things. So he even himself recognizes, man, there's something different about Jesus. And sometimes as Christians, people label themselves Christians because they say, well, there's just something different about Jesus. Or we say, man, Jesus, Jesus is such a loving person. Yet we actually don't know what we mean when we talk about it. And yet we actually don't believe Jesus is who he says he is. He's not just a good person. You're not a Christian because you believe Jesus is a good person or because he was a good teacher, because he had some really cool Zen things to say. <laughs> Nicodemus in this very moment, right, is asking the question, man, who are you? Because you're different. He recognizes that. Right on, uh, it, Jesus answers him. And he doesn't, it says he answers him, but really Jesus doesn't answer his question. Remember, Nicodemus asks him, who are you? What does Jesus respond with? Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Doesn't sound like Jesus answers Nicodemus's question because Nicodemus is asking him, who are you? Jesus responds, you must be born again. You must be born again. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus probably taken back, like, wasn't really the question I asked you, but okay. Um, how can I be born again? How can I hop back? Can I, can I hop back in my mother's womb and be born again? And he asked that. How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born again? And obviously that's not what we believe to be true, as Christians, to be born again doesn't mean you do that. But ultimately, Jesus answers him and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What Jesus does here is so cool. Jesus quotes an Old Testament scripture to an Old Testament teacher. He's saying, man, you think you know the word of God. You're asking who I am. You're asking, man, how can one be born again? I'm about to tell you, and I'm about to quote Old Testament scripture that you should have memorized and it should be obvious to you who I am. And so I'm going to quote it. And what does Jesus respond with? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Jesus is quoting an Old Testament passage. What is that passage? That passage is Ezekiel 36 24 through, 30, through 27. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. Here's what it says. If you guys want to turn to Ezekiel, you can. Ezekiel is right after, the book of Ezekiel is right after the book of Jeremiah. So it's right after the book of Jeremiah, which is right after the book of Isaiah. Two pretty big chapters. So hopefully, hopefully you'll find it. It's pretty, it's pretty, 
far into the book of Ezekiel. Here's what it says, verse 25. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, to be careful to obey my rules. Jesus is being prophesied about right here. Prophesied basically means in the Old Testament, the prophets, Ezekiel is one of the prophets, and he wrote about a Messiah to come. And right here, he's talking about the Messiah to come. He's talking about Jesus and prophesies basically what Ezekiel is doing here. He's saying there will come a Messiah and he will do these things. He will sprinkle clean water on you and, they, and you will be clean, Israel. He will clean you from all your uncleanliness and remove the idols from your heart, Israel. And not just Israel, but the rest of the world as well. And you guys can see when Jesus says, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, you cannot be born again. What's well, exactly quoting right here. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When we are talking about the sprinkling of the water, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you unless you are born of the water and of the spirit, you cannot be born again. So what does it explain? What is Jesus trying to get at right here? Basically, Jesus is explaining to us that are reading the Bibles right now. He's explaining to Nicodemus, what does it mean to actually be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to follow Christ? So right here, you have the answer. And I will remove your heart of stone and from your flesh, I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Obviously, becoming a Christian means you have been transformed. It means you have been born again. And how are you born again? God gives you a new heart. God gives you a new heart. And he does this through the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. When you hear the good news, you're not only challenged by your sin. You say, man, I am a sinner before a holy God. But then your sin causes you to react to God's mercy in such a way and saying, God, save me from my sin. I know you're a merciful God. Have mercy on me, God. I know you sent your son to die on a cross for my sin. And you not only sent him to die, but to rise again so that I may be a new creation. And in that moment, God takes your heart of stone and he gives you a heart of flesh. And now what, what, what are the signs of that in the life of a believer? What, what, what dictates whether or not you've actually been given a heart of flesh and that your heart of stone has been removed? Well, the first thing is this. Being born again means you've been given a new heart. And what does that mean? It means that God has changed your desires. God has changed your desires. 
before you knew Christ, you were living in the world, you were enjoying your sin, you were enjoying your life that was directed away from God. But when God takes a hold of your heart, he changes you and he turns you around and all of a sudden your life takes a new direction. Now hear me when I say this, doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you don't sin. What does it mean? God has given you new desires. So that the sin that you still sometimes fall into, but the sin that you were living in and a slave to, you no longer love. In fact, you want to remove yourself as far away from that sin as possible. Why? Because you hate your sin. One of the marks of somebody who's born again recognizes, man, these things in my life I have to get rid of. I have to. Why? Because I love God. And if I love God, then I, I, I obey him. Because God does, not, God does not tolerate our sin. God does not love our sin. In fact, he hates our sin. And so for us as believers, as God transforms our heart, we then switch directions, right? It's what we call repentance. And repentance doesn't just mean one time you decided to ask for forgiveness of sin. Repentance means your whole life takes a new direction. And therefore, you love the things of God. I want to just ask you, do you love God? One of the marks of a Christian is of whether or not they love God and they're grateful for the work that he's done for them. And do you truly love him? Do you want to be with him? Do you think about heaven and you're like, man, I get to be with God forever. The creator of all of this. The one who loves me. The one who sent his son to die on my behalf. Is your desire for him? Or do you, are you indifferent? I don't really care. Or do you not like God? Do you have this enmity for God? In your heart? Because something that's happened in your life. See, there are different positions we can be in. And depending on the position we are in, determines whether or not we are a new creation. Whether or not God has truly grabbed a hold of our heart and changed it. There's an A.W. Tozer quote. <clears throat> and this is a really, really good quote. Um, if you guys don't know who A.W. Tozer is, he's a, he's a famous author and he's awesome. He's very challenging, yet he's, he's so, so good at communicating some of these things. And here's what he says. He says, God grants you the freedom from sin, not the freedom to sin. God grants you the freedom from sin, not the freedom to sin. So oftentimes as Christians, man, if we believe that we can become a Christian, pray a prayer, and then live the life that we were living before we knew Christ, as if nothing changed, as if we don't feel any different about it, as if we, we still continue to love our sin and fall into it, then we're not a new creation. Why? Because God grants you the freedom from sin, not to sin. So when you are free from your sin, you're actually grateful for the mercy and grace of God. Therefore, you want to please God because you've, you're so filled with gratitude for what he's done for you. Your life begins to change and change directions. And I ask some of you guys, man, is that true in your life? Do you actually know or do you actually follow after God? There are times where we give into temptation and sin, yet we're not a slave to it no longer. We're slaves of righteousness, as the Bible talks about. 
The second thing is that when you are born again, you recognize that you need Jesus. You recognize your need for Christ. All of us, all of us. It's not like we're born again. It's not like we're transformed. God gives us a new heart and all of a sudden we don't need Jesus anymore. We don't need to spend time in his word. We don't need to spend time worshiping him, praying to him. That's not the case. It's not just passive, right? It requires action on our behalf. In John 14, 23, it says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And, he will, and we will come to him and make our home with him. As new creations, we recognize, man, I cannot do this in and of my own strength. I cannot beat this addiction in and of my own strength. I have one good week and then I fall right back into it when one bad day happens. I know what that's like. And I know some of you are going through that right now. And I want to tell you, have you been trying to just play defense? Or are you playing offense? Are you replacing the things in your life that you know are not good for you and that you know tempt you with the things of God? Because if you just try taking stuff out of your life, you'll fall right back into it and you'll go right back to him. But instead, as a believer, you need to replace the things of this world with the things of God. So I ask you, man, if you are falling into your addictions, falling into your bad habits, falling into your sinful habits, I got to ask you, are you even in your, are you in the word of God? Because if you're not, then you're just trying to do it without him and you cannot do it without him. Are you praying daily, every morning, God, direct me not into temptation, but God, Remove the temptation from my life. Are you claiming to follow hard after God, to follow Jesus, yet still spending hours scrolling on your phone, knowing, man, I'm not sinning, I'm not sinning, yet waiting for sin to pop up, waiting for temptation to pop up. The amount of time that you guys spend on your, on your phone, and, I, and I'm saying this because I, obviously there's not a hard, fast rule about how, in the Bible about how long you spend on your phone, but the truth is, is that, man, the amount of times we spend on our phone, the phone is access into all the things the world has to offer. And so when we're spending tons, ton, tons of time on our phone, we might not be sitting in that moment, but we're giving the ability for something to show up on our phone for some sort of, some sort of image or some sort of wording or whatever it is, music, whatever it is, to pop up on our phone and then tempt us. And most of us, if not all of us, are far too weak. We give in to temptation every time. And that brings me to my third and last point. When you are born again, a new creation, you begin to reorient your life around the word of God. Reorient your life around the spirit and the word of God. This isn't just something, man, Christianity isn't just a label you slap on your life. It's not an Instagram bio. It's not just something you, you passively do. Christianity, being a follower of Christ, requires an entire life change. 
a surrender. And so I'm going to ask you, have you reoriented your life around Christ? Have you now, man, had a taste of who God is and you can't get enough and you want more and more and more? You go to church, you read your Bible, you pray. There should be evidence in your life that you are born again if you truly are. And I'm not saying those things save you because they don't. Only God saves. And only the grace and free grace of God, the gift of grace, can save you from your sin. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. But one of the marks of somebody who's actually been saved is somebody who wants to know God more and more and wants to grow in their understanding of him. And some of you guys, even as I've talked today, maybe have asked yourself, man, am I saved? Am I a Christian? Am I a follower of Christ? Does my life look any different than the world's? Do I actually follow hard after God? Do I actually, is my, is my life heading in direction towards God or away from him? And I'd ask you this, and I tell you this, it's encouraging, okay? The fact that you're even thinking about that question is a good sign, right? Because if you weren't a follower of Christ, you would care less. You could care less. You're indifferent, but the fact that you're actually evaluating, man, am I following Christ? I want to know God. I want to be with him forever. I don't just want to take it out of hell. I want to know God and I want to experience his presence in my life. And that's the way we understand and know, man, am I truly transformed by the renewing of my mind? In, 12, in Romans 12 too, it's what it says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some of you guys have worldviews that oppose the word of God. And we call certain sins not sin. And we, and we reject the word of God in certain ways. And I just ask you, man, Jesus died on the cross for that sin. Our sin is so bad that Jesus had to pay an etern- a, a price for that sin. He had, to, he had to die on the cross. And yet we're swayed by what the world thinks. Whatever the world says, we're like, yeah, yeah, that's good. It's okay if, if, that, if that happens in your life. It's okay. I'm not going to tell you that it's wrong. Man, if we believe this is true, if we believe in the gospel, why on earth wouldn't we change our worldview? Why, when we start looking at the world through the lens of Scripture, Jesus himself quoted Scripture more than anyone. For fear of being maybe outcast, for fear of people thinking we're narrow minded. <laughs> Guys, Christ has presented himself as a sacrifice for sin. Narrow minded? Jesus has had so much mercy and grace for humanity that he would send his only that he would be the son of God and send himself to the cross and lay his himself down on our behalf. It's the grace and mercy of God that we're still even in this room. And yet we think, man, we're being narrow-minded. And Jesus, and I'm telling you this right now, when you become a Christian, and I pray that this happens for you guys, your worldview has to change. The way you see things changes. It's no longer your opinion. It's not my opinion that certain things are sin. It's God's word. It's not my opinion that, that, um, 
that outside of Christ, those that do not know him will spend an eternity away from him. It's in the word of God. Jesus quotes, talks about hell more than any other person in the Bible. These aren't my opinions anymore. These are things that I submit to and surrender my life to. Why? Because I'm grateful for the things that Jesus has done. I'm grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm grateful that he saved a sinner like me. Yet when we call things not how they are, we look at God and we say, there's a better way than what you've, than the way that you've made. Could you imagine, and obviously you're not God, and I'm not God. If, if I was, we'd be screwed. But you guys understand, like, if, like, imagine seeing every heart. Imagine that. Imagine seeing the minds of every person on the earth, right? He sees it all. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord roam the earth and see everything. He sees all of the wickedness that happens. What happened in Texas? He sees what happens in the hearts of people when they gossip. He sees lives and reputations destroyed because of the words that we utter. He sees the the the, the mean things that we say to each other. He sees all of it. He sees the lustful things that we harbor in our hearts. He sees all of it, all of humanity sins. He sees it. And you think that as God, you'd be more merciful than him? Man, God has had so much mercy and grace and he takes us and he transforms us and he makes us new creations. And yet sometimes we still think we know better. We still think we, oh, we understand. No. And he needs follow. he doesn't need anything. But you need to be followers of Christ that not only trans, have a transformed heart, but a transformed mind. The way you see the world needs to change. And you need to not only love the world, love those who are not of Christ, but you need to stand for truth and recognize that this world is sinful and broken and it needs Christ. And I'm not going to compromise anything because I know what my Savior says, and I know what the Bible says, and I know what's true in the Word of God, and I know you came to die for my sin. Why would I sin anymore? Or why would I make a practice of it? Or why would I say certain sins are okay? No. We are to live lives worthy of the gospel, and as a, tr- as a result of our transformation, we then can say, God, to you be the glory. And this world, this world is falling away. And you guys recognize that. You guys are in this world right now. You guys have, I'm not oblivious to the fact that you guys have come up to this mountain from a world that in more or less is on fire. And you guys come up to this mountain and we're talking about the truth of God's word. And I pray and I hope and I know that it's, it's relatable to you guys because you guys are surrounded by it. There's so much confusion around different cultural ideas and different things that have progressed. And people are like, man, we're progressing. And some people, Christians, call themselves progressive Christians. But in reality, all they're doing is changing what true, what is true and what has always been true since the moment these words were spoken. I want you guys to understand that you guys are entering a world 
that takes the word of God and skews it in ways to support their own view system. This isn't a sin because I, because I pull a scripture out of context and therefore it's not a sin. It's not the way it works. You guys are in a world that does that. And Satan will do that. Satan knows scripture. He will take scriptures and he will say, Is it, did God really say this? That's what he did to Adam and Eve. Did God really say that this is a sin? Did God really say you need to surrender everything and change your worldview and actually live for him, be renewed by the, or be, do not be conformed to the world, but renewed by the renewing of your mind? Did he really say that? It's the same thing over and over again. It's nothing new. But I want you guys to understand, man, the way you approach this, this wor- the word of God matters. You need to approach the word of God humbly and recognize there's going to be things in here that I don't necessarily at, prime va- or at face value agree with yet. However, this is the authority. I don't decide what's true in this book. This book speaks into my life and therefore I surrender everything, even the things that I don't understand. I know it's true. Why? Because Jesus himself, the son of God, came to this earth, whether we like it or not, died the sinner's death and was raised again, confirming all of scripture that he is the revealed word of God and the son of God. And he says, look to my word, my spirit I will put in you and the spirit will remind you of all that I have said. All that I've said, Old Testament, New Testament, all these things are true. Whether or not we agree with it or like it. And so I encourage you guys to read it, to study it. And come up with a Bible plan to actually study the scriptures so that you can actually be transformed. I'll end with this. Ephesians 4.20 says this. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. He's talking to the Ephesians. He's talking about the Gentiles who live outside of Christ and live their own lives. And he says, when you heard about Christ and when you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Guys, you have to put to death the old self and put on the new self. It's not something that just passively happens in your life. You actually have to put in the effort to change the way that you live. So Christ commands us. It's what Paul is commanding us to do. Put off the old self. You're no longer, you are no longer a slave to sin. You are now a slave to righteousness. Therefore live that way. And if you don't, then you have to ask yourself the question, am I truly a slave to righteousness? Am I truly born again? Guys, start now. And I'm telling you this right now. I really will end with this. If you guys learn to confess your sin this young, it will save you a life of heartache and pain for days to come. 
God will continue to move and transform your heart as you begin to be open and outright with your sin. And the only way we can actually walk in the transformation that God wants for us is if we actually put to death our sin. And we can only do that if we admit that we sin. In 1 John, it says that anybody who says they are without sin is not telling the truth. You all have sin in your life. And all of it's bad. They're not little sins. Sin is sin before a holy God. And I want to encourage you guys, if you want to be free, learn how to confess your sin. Get over the fear that others, uh, the fear of what people might think of you. Because we're all the same. Don't only learn to confess your sin. But don't make an excuse for it because everybody does it either. It doesn't make it okay if you sit around a group with boys and you guys all have the same struggle. You all look at things you're not supposed to. And then, but you find out everybody does this. So you're like, oh, it's actually not that bad. No. No. It's all sin before a holy God. And not only are you supposed to confess your sin, but in confessing your sin, you're supposed to change and take action. And how do we do that? The word of God. Replacing and actually playing offense instead of defense. Not just trying to take out your addictions but replacing them with an addiction to the word of God and the things of God and all that God has. So I'm going to pray for us and you guys will be out of here. Sorry, I went long. God, I thank you for these people. And Lord, I pray you challenge them. God, that you wouldn't, God, that none of the words that I just said were my own words, God, but they were your words from straight from the word of God. And so Lord, I pray that students would recognize it. God, I pray that you'd stir their spirit up within them. God, to challenge their worldview. God, their spirit to, to challenge the way that they live. And God, that you would cause their, their hearts, if they have not repented, God, to repent and believe unto your name. And that from then on, they can walk in a direction towards you and away from the world. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We love you. And in Jesus' name, amen.